0: And so, I also want to say one more time, welcome to those of you who are online. If you have not taken the opportunity to fill out your digital connect card, that is available for you right now. You can just text the word RIVER to 715-953-4060 and you will uh, have the opportunity to let us know you're here and also stay connected with what's happening here at the river. We are in the end of a series that we've been looking at how... Jesus has confronted a lot of different issues. I think it's easy for us to become so familiar with the stories that we miss what some of the undertones of what Jesus was doing. And one thing I hope you recognize is that as you look through the New Testament, Jesus is often stepping into some very difficult situations and He's, he's turning them around. He, he's... In, he's Entering situations where there's conflict. And by the time he's done working in there, there seems to be a spirit of cooperation. He, he walks into situations where there's polarization, where, where people are fighting against each other, where there's, there's different systems bucking up against each other, and he steps in and he brings peace. And so... In each of these situations, we recognize Jesus is that common denominator. And so that, that's why we've been looking at this series. That's why we've been trying to understand what does it mean to allow the peace of Christ to enter into all of our circumstances? What does it mean to allow His presence and, and what He desired for us to be as followers to fall into all of these areas? A couple weeks ago, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus taught this story so that people would recognize that racism is not okay. And he challenged the way we view that subject. Last week, we looked at the story of Zacchaeus and recognized that as Jesus was intersecting different political ideologies in that moment, that he was able to help people understand he cared more about the people than necessarily where they fall in the political spectrum jesus just made this habit of stepping in to areas and confronting barriers and coming against the things that were bringing the injustice in his time and i believe he's still calling us to do that today and so today we are going to be looking at one that might be a little bit closer to home i mean not that we don't deal with those other subjects but i can see how easy it would be to say well. You know, I, I'm not really concerned about racism. I don't feel like that. Or maybe you're someone who said, well, I don't really get all that involved politically. Well, that's good. But today we're going to deal with something that I don't think there's a single person in this room doesn't have to agree you have some affiliation with. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus di- discussing religion. And, and I I'd say I can say that with pretty good confidence because you wouldn't be here in this room or you wouldn't be watching online if you didn't have some opinion about religion. At least that's what I assume, unless you're being forced by a family member to sit next to you right now, or, or you know someone's got you tied into a chair and and they're forcing you to watch this. And if so, you know just type in the chat help and and we'll 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 try to find you and get you some help. But 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 the truth is, if you're tuned into this willingly you probably have some opinion to what it means to be a person about religion. You have some very strong opinions, I would hope, on what religion is and what it shouldn't be. And so today, we're going to take some time and look at what Jesus had to say about it. And interestingly, as I was preparing this, I decided to go with a passage that has a lot of religious Problems with it. This is probably one of the most controversial passages that you're going to find in the Bible because there's many people who believe it shouldn't be in the Bible. We're going to be looking at the story of the adulterous woman found in John chapter 8. And the reason why I say there's contention in it is there's very strong evidence to point out to the fact that John never included this in his original gospel. That when you look at the structure of it, when you look at early church records, there doesn't seem to be a reason why this should be here in the book of John right now. Now, there seems to be evidence that it was added later, and that it was something that was held onto for tradition for over a thousand years, that it was a part of the book of John. That when the King James Bible was translated... There was belief that this story was a part of the book of John. What we now can see is it probably wasn't. But what we don't know is whether or not the story really happened. Or whether or not John really wrote about it. I mean, there's a chance that this story survived from another manuscript that we don't have access to. Someone others account. But what is evident in this story is that it doesn't line up with any of the fictitious stories you read about Jesus. I don't know if you realize there's a lot of people and there's a lot of writings that have survived the time of Jesus that talk about Jesus that have nothing to do with who he really was. I mean, they, they have all sorts of crazy things like him being a child and, and spitting in the mud and all of a sudden birds and, and animals started coming alive as he's playing with mud on the ground. There's other stories about him coming out of the cross, and all of a sudden, a or coming out of the grave, and all of a sudden, a huge cross is standing at the mouth of the tomb, testifying, and there's big crowds around waiting for Jesus to show up. We don't believe those are true. They don't line up with what the fullness of Scripture teaches us. However, this story, though. It may not have been an original part of the book of John, in my opinion, teaches a strong truth about who Jesus is. And it lines up with so much of the other teachings that you see Jesus living out. And so again, I'm not here to let you know whether you should, you know, cut this page out of your Bible or whether you want to continue to learn from it, I think it's something worth holding on to because early church fathers, th- this story was being circulated, whether or not it belonged in this book. And so I'll let you decide. I, as I was studying it and trying to decide do I want to include this or not, uh, or do I want to use this passage or not, uh, I looked at a couple of different people who uh, chimed in on it. I love what Uh, John Piper had to say as he explained why this is something we could still learn from. John Piper says this, he says, The most remarkable part of this story is that Jesus exalts himself above the law of Moses, changes its appointed punishment, and reestablishes righteousness as the foundation of grace. I don't doubt that this is why this story was preserved. It's an amazing story. So, I'll, I'll let you decide. I'll let you decide whether we should keep teaching from this or not. But for this morning, I want to take a look at it because I think it encapsulates in a really strong way the power of religious fervor and the passion of Christ to try to speak above that and to help us understand that there are ideals that are greater than religious rights and wrongs. And so, if you don't mind standing with me, we're going to read John chapter 3, or sorry, John chapter 8, and we're going to start reading in verses 3 through 7. John chapter 3 verses 3 through, or man, John chapter 8 verses 3 through 7. And this is how it reads out of the New Living Translation. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never
1: sinned throw the first stone. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are faithful to us. That throughout the ages,
0: faithful teaching has been preserved about you. And I pray that you would help us understand why we have this story, why we can still use it to reflect upon your goodness. And why the early church believed this was a story worth holding on to, worth preserving. I pray that through this we would recognize the ways that we hold our own religious prejudice and that we would be willing to turn that over to you, to allow your life and your love to be exalted
1: through us so that others can see your love. Holy Spirit, teach us. Help us to walk out of here more in love with who you are and what you are desiring to do. As we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well,
0: before you see it, why don't you wave at a person or two. Let them know you're excited to be worshiping with them. If you're online,
1: throw us a praise emoji. So in this story, as I mentioned,
0: we, we can't necessarily have certainty that this story really happened. We can't have certainty that the events Transpired like this. We can't have certainty who actually wrote this story down for us. But I believe it does speak to what people understood about who Jesus was and it speak to the way that he talked about religious stuff. Because you can go through the rest of the New Testament and you see Jesus confronting religion in much the same way that he's confronting it right here. And so I want to take our next few moments together and talk about the differences between religion and relationship. I mean, how many of you have ever heard or have said the phrase, Christianity isn't religion, it's a relationship? Okay, one of you, great. We're going to have a 101 class on Christianity right after this. We'll be serving, no, I'm I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) That's a pretty common statement that we have tried to tell people that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And that's great. The problem is, I don't think most of the time we operate it like that. I I think one of the great black eyes against Christianity is how much it has operated like religion through the centuries. That while I believe there is people who have held out the relationship aspect, and who have lived it well. And that's why this has endured, because people have been invited into that relationship. The greatest abuses of power that we've seen through the ages have come to people who want it just to be religion. And so today, I want to take a moment and look at the contrast and try to figure out which side should we want to fall on. So the first thing that I want to point out, the contradiction that we see between the two, is that religion loves being right.
1: Relationship loves doing right. When it comes to religion, we're very careful to say,
0: this is right and that's wrong. You, You can... You can go to this kind of church or that kind of church, but you can't go to that kind of church. Or you can wear this kind of outfit on Sunday morning, but you can't wear that kind of outfit. Or if you get really crazy, you can wear this kind of hat in church, but you can't wear that kind of hat in church. Or if you're really holy, you wear this kind of thing. Like The really, really holy people, I guess I'm not one of them, wear dresses and, and, and curtains over them so that you know how really, really holy they are. There's these rules and these things and like you're not right before God. You're not right in the eyes of the religion unless you're, you're ticking off certain
1: check marks on the tally. But relationship doesn't work that way. Relationship
0: should be more concerned about doing right. It should be less concerned about Am I right or is that person right? And more concerned about how do I love? How do I love in a way
1: that helps me to be right? To extend the righteousness of God through me?
0: We recognize in the story that the Pharisees were concerned about being right. They they knew the law of Moses. They knew what was expected. But They still wanted to be right. And so we we read in verse 5, the Pharisees saying, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And the truth is, they didn't care what he thought. They didn't care whether he thought it was right to stone her or not. Verse 6 tells us why they even asked the question. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. So, they, they weren't concerned about what's best for this woman. They were concerned on how do, I, how do we trip up Jesus? How do we prove that we're right and he's wrong? Because here's the truth of the matter. If this story really happened, it was a great trick. Because if Jesus would have stood up and said, stone her, then they could have condemned him against the Roman officials because it was illegal for the Jewish people to carry out capital punishment. So if he would have said, kill her, they would have said, okay, great. You're following the law of Moses. Now we're going to turn you over to the law of Rome. But if he had said, don't stone her, they would have been able to say, well, look, you don't even follow the Bible. You don't follow the Old Testament. And so, I mean, there was this contradiction. But But it was never about them trying to figure out what was right or wrong. It was trying to establish themselves as right. Do you know how I know that's true? Where's the man? It says she was caught in the act of adultery. Where's the other person? There should have been two people in front of Jesus if they were really serious about this. But there wasn't, there was one. So they were wanting to be right. They were wanting to show how they were morally superior to Jesus, but they weren't even following the fullness of the law. They weren't even taking it into consideration. It takes two to commit this act. And so here they are throwing this woman in front of the crowd, humiliating her, using her as a prop, to show off just how righteous they are as compared to her. But Jesus wouldn't have it. As a matter of fact, He didn't even respond to them. This passage says He just kneels down and writes in the sand. And again, for thousands of years, people have been wondering, what was He writing in the sand? We don't know. We don't know. Apparently, the point of this story was not what He was writing down, but His unwillingness To use their religious systems to condemn this woman. And so he responds with love. He responds in a way that exposes their hearts. And protects hers. Which points to another way that religion. Contrasts relationship. Religion grows through rules. Through do this. Don't do that. Touch this. Don't touch that. Eat this. Don't eat that. Relationship grows through remission. I don't know how many of you are in a relationship like, or have ever been in a relationship. I mean, I'm assuming that if you're alive, you've, you've at least had some family at some point. How many of you would want your relationship to simply be about rules? Like you walked in in the morning and there was a checklist. And the person next to you go, okay, did you make your bed? Okay, good. I love you more. All right. Did you uh, clean up the dishes? Yep. Okay. That's another check. All right. Did you walk the dog? You didn't walk the dog? Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, No relationship today. But that's what religion does. And religion is really bad at it because they start making rules and then when they realize you can't follow those rules. They make more rules to help you figure out how to follow those rules. It just, it gets crazy. And as much as I want to say we're immune from it, the Assemblies of God, our denomination, has been terrible at it for a long, long time. We we created rules, and then we didn't like the fact that people could break those rules, so we created rules around those rules. I mean, I talked about a couple weeks ago that I, I dealt with people who were afraid to go to movie theaters because they thought they would miss the rapture. So I, I think we, we've sanctified this room. You're okay. If Jesus comes today, you will still make it. But, but for generations of Assemblies of God people, we were taught you, you can't make it to heaven if you're in a movie theater when Jesus comes back. When, when I was in Montana, we were a part of a group that had brought in the Passion of the Christ, and we had all of these people who were, you know, from all different churches. It was an amazing, amazing event where we had churches who had rallied together and had brought in counselors and people, and we saw hundreds of people get saved through that combined effort of the churches in our community. It was amazing. But what was interesting to me was that our lead pastor That was the first time he'd ever gone to a movie in our community. He'd gone to movies, but he made sure he never did it in our hometown because he didn't want any of his church people to see him at a movie theater. Our associate pastor had never been to a movie in his life. And he was in his 60s. Passion of the Christ was the first time he had entered a movie theater. I mean, he probably rented movies, because apparently that was okay, but you, but you can't, you couldn't actually go in. so, like, we're really good at these things. We like making rules. And that's how religion grows, is making sure you're following all the rules. And wait, hey, you didn't make that rule, you're out. And it's about who's in and who's out. Relationship grows through remission. The
1: remission of sins. The, the forgiveness of faults. How many of you would rather be in that kind of a
0: relationship? Where when you mess up, it's not held against you for years. When you mess up, there's a grace and there's a covering. This is the cornerstone of Christianity. This is what Jesus came to die for. So that we could live lives of forgiveness. So that we could live lives where when somebody does something wrong... We can choose not to allow it to embitter our spirits. And the problem is, I fear we have too many Christians walking around with bitterness ripped into their hearts, either because of what something was done to them in a church or what something was done to them in a relationship. And they've got this bitterness welling inside of them. And and they they've got their rocks and they're ready, they're ready just to, to throw it at somebody, the first person who crosses them the wrong way, they're they're gonna
1: chuck that rock at them. Because that person hurt me, that person did this against me. But Jesus is saying if you want a relationship, you gotta put down the rocks. You gotta
0: choose to forgive. It doesn't mean you always forget. And it doesn't mean you always give that person license to keep hurting you. But it does mean you release it. And you let that person experience, or you let yourself experience what forgiveness brings to you.
1: Regardless of what it does to the relationship at the end of the day. I mean, when they were conjoling him and saying... What do we do? Do we stone her or not? They were just,
0: they were, they kept demanding of him that he respond to their attacks. In
1: verse 7, we read, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Can you imagine the look in the crowd?
0: I mean, there's these Pharisees, and they're supposed to be the sinless ones, right? They they were the ultra-conservatives. They were the ones who who checked all the boxes.
1: You would assume one of them would have then picked up a stone because they were the righteous people. But that's not what happened. In verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. They realized none of them were without sin. None of them were guiltless. In this room, every one of us has something in common. Those of you who are joining us online, we all share this. There's no one righteous. There's no one without sin. The Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are one dumb mistake away from being publicly humiliated, laid bare in front of the crowd. And how would we want those around us to respond? Do we want them to pick up the rocks? Or do we want them to show compassion? As the people left, as the Pharisees walked away, Jesus then turns to the woman. Verse 10, as Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. He wasn't coming to make sure she followed a set of rules. He wanted to let her know
0: that her sins were forgiven. That there was remission for her sins. That she wouldn't recognize it then and it wouldn't come until later. But that His cross would be what would cover her. That would give her dignity again that would help her to recognize there is a
1: standard that we will never meet, but we have a God who provided an answer. And so the last thing
0: I want us to see, the differences, is that religion offers condemnation. Relationship offers restoration.
1: And that's what Jesus was offering this woman in this moment. The last part of that verse that we just read. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He's saying, you're not condemned. These men try to condemn you, but you're not condemned.
0: I don't condemn you. But what I do want you to do is live differently. Because you've received grace, because you've received forgiveness, because you have been acquitted of your sins. Go and sin no more. Go and live a life that's worthy
1: of the forgiveness that you've been offered. See, in several of other occasions where Jesus was teaching,
0: he points to the fact of how easy it is that once you've been forgiven, To turn around and hold unforgiveness against your brother or against your sister. How easy it is that once the stones have been lowered against us, to pick them back up and point them at somebody else. And he's saying, you've been forgiven. Now go walk in restored relationship. Go walk in a relationship that allows you to have freedom and extend that freedom to others. As I've already mentioned, we don't know whether this story really ever happened. We don't know whether John actually was the one who wrote it. But I find it interesting that the most common place it found itself in the early manuscripts that it started showing up in was right here in the book of John. And the first time we actually make a break from the story into what was the actual text of the book of John, They decided to put this story right before these words that Jesus spoke in John 8.12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. How beautiful to place the story of a woman who was humiliated right in front of these words. These words that we have some strong proof that Jesus did say. I am the light of the world. That if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You can be restored. You can have restoration from all the things that you've done wrong. And you can take that restoration and Allow it to bring life in you and life in others. This morning, if you've heard nothing else, I really want to challenge you. Do not value others based on their level of perfection. Choose to see them through the lens of Jesus. It's really easy to look at other people and try to measure them by how good they are, by how faithful they are, what church they attend, what, what ways that they connect with God or don't connect with God. And we, we, we create our own caste system.
1: But Jesus is calling us to look at people through His lens, to recognize they're not perfect,
0: but more importantly, we're not either. We are all somewhere along the spectrum of God healing us, and leading us more fully
1: toward Himself. And so I want to encourage you, let's be people who see people the way Jesus did.
0: Who who look at Samaritans, people of a different race, and, and see them with love. Who look at people from differing political views and invite them in. Who look at people who are trapped in sin who are broken by their own choices.
1: There's nothing about this story that says she didn't do it. But people who are broken by their own choices still need the love of Christ. They still need people like you and me to stand up for them, to stand in front of the stones, and to choose to extend love to people. And so,
0: as I've been doing through this series, I'm going to give you three really hard things to do. And then I'm going to give you three a little more easier baby steps. So the first thing that I want to challenge
1: you to do, and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to ask you to drop your rock. Now, if you're here in person, you were handed a rock, and you don't have to drop it right now. But... But... But I want you to allow this to symbolize your own religious system. The ways in which
0: you have evaluated others based on the way you live out your Christianity. Because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to look at where you are in Christ and speak bad against the person on
1: the other side of the aisle or at the other church or ones that are at the bars. It's so easy
0: to hold up our standards and be willing to take other people down.
1: And I'm telling you, this is a rock you're going to have to drop again and again and again. You're going to have to choose
0: to let that fall in the dust and say, Jesus, help me. Help me to stop judging others by my own standards. Help me to love people even when they don't live up to my standards. We have to be willing to drop the rock. I mean, the funny part is, if you've been around church, when I, when I read this story, my mind always goes to an image of these Pharisees walking around and, and like, once Jesus says this, they, they drop their rocks in the sand and walk away. I read the story again, it doesn't even mention they brought rocks. They talked about stoning her, but they didn't, doesn't actually say that the rocks were there or that they dropped them. But we need to. We need to let go of the things that we're using to hurt other people. We, we, need, we want to be people who chase after Jesus. I mean, here's my question to you this morning Do you want religion or do you want a relationship? If you want religion, I've got a whole checklist that I can give you of things you should do or shouldn't do. But if you want a relationship, that takes. in the presence of Jesus. You have to stop following religion. You have to stop putting your faith in rules and regulations. You have to stop trying to perfect yourself in your own strength. You have to stop holding others to a standard you
1: yourself cannot keep. You have to drop the rock. The other thing that I want to challenge you to do is build on the rock. If you really want to
0: live the way Jesus has called us to live, He called Himself the rock. One time Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, upon this declaration, I will build my church. Another time Jesus said that a wise man will build on my teachings. They will build on the solid foundation
1: on the rock of what I'm teaching them. Foolish people will build upon the sand of religion and it will be wiped away. The last thing I really want to challenge you to do this morning is to silence the rocks. That there
0: was a time where People began to praise Jesus. They began to worship Him. They began to recognize who He was. And they wanted to build upon that rock. And they were singing praises to Him. And the Pharisees
1: came back again. And they said, Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And He said, if they are quiet, the stones will cry out. The rocks will cry out. If you choose to live in religion, you're
0: carrying a stone. You're not really praising Jesus, and eventually this stone
1: will cry out against you. Do you want a stone to be praising God, or do you want to praise God?
0: By living the life he's called us to live, I want to challenge you. Let's, let's silence the stones this morning. So, and th- this isn't a perfect path to that, but I want to challenge you. Some easy steps that you can take this week. Memorize John 8, verse 12. The words we know Jesus said. And evaluate how you're living. Are you living in the light or are you living in darkness? Are you living through the lens of who he is or who you want him to be? And then find a way to show kindness to someone
1: who's not expecting it. Maybe reach out to somebody who you know doesn't fit into your religious mold and show love to them. And why?
0: Why do we do that? Why do we show this kind of kindness?
1: Because Jesus did it first. Jesus wasn't trying to start a religion. He was trying to start a relationship. He took all of the religious requirements and laid them upon Himself, fulfilling them perfectly so that all that you and I had to do was reach out to Him. And that's why we celebrate communion. That's why we
0: take time and we remember the broken body. We remember the blood that was poured out. And so this morning, we are going to celebrate communion together so we can remember what we have been restored from. And then we're going to choose to live different lives because of it. And so right now I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And if you are online and you want to run real quick and grab some juice or crackers or whatever you have with you uh, and join with us, there's nothing special about these cups. I just I want to encourage you to go find some way to participate. If you're here in person and you have the cups, I also want to give you a moment because if you've never used one of these, they usually take about uh, three days to be be able to open. They're very biblical. You know, after three days, you can rise again. But um, but take some time. Open open the flaps and um, get them ready.
1: But I'm I'm going to pray over communion. But before
0: I do that, I want to pray for those of you who may be here or maybe online and you haven't accepted Christ. This would be a great day to choose to have a relationship with Jesus. So let me, let me offer that to you. If you're here or if you're online, I,
1: I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer. We can all bow our heads. We can all be in a moment of reverence. If you're someone, you need that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you
0: have never prayed a prayer like that or maybe through this message you realize you've been living
1: for religion and not for Him. We can ask for fresh forgiveness today. So if that's you, I'd encourage you to pray something simple like this. You can use my words, you can use your own.
0: You can say this out loud or you can say it in the quietness of your heart. But pray something like this.
1: "Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe three days later, the rock was rolled away and and that God brought you back to life. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my mistakes. Please forgive me. Today, I choose to turn away from that life. And I choose to follow you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me to live for Jesus every day. As I pray this in His powerful name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer,
0: please come talk with me after service. I would love to talk with you or if you're online, uh, send us a, an email or a Facebook message or click on the link if you're on the live stream right now and just let us know that you've made that decision. And for the rest of us, let's, let's take communion together right now, remembering that Jesus said this body is broken for, for us, for our healing, that His blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven. Let me pray over this and let's partake of it together. Jesus, I thank You. I thank You for those who may have said this prayer for the first time today or those who have prayed this before to accept Your forgiveness. And as we take communion together, help us remember that Your body was broken so that we could be healed. That we could have wholeness. And I pray for healing over the many things that are going on in our body right now and the many things that are going on in people who are connecting to our service at this moment. That healing would flow from our act of communion. And that you would help us to live lives that honor you. That your blood would flow through our lives, cover our sins, that we would be people who offer forgiveness freely and openly. We love you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Why don't we partake of the bread?
1: And also the cup. As I
0: mentioned, if you're here in person, you should have received a rock on your way in. I want to give you two options. We're going to all stand right now and we're going to sing. And if you're here this morning and you want to say, I don't want to carry around a rock. Of condemnation. I, I want to allow my religious perceptions to be shaped by Him, not by what I think of Him. Not what, what I think it is to follow rules and regulations. I, I want to encourage you to join me in just placing your rock here on this altar as a symbol that you're leaving behind religious systems. Or maybe you want to take this home and Remember what you have been forgiven of. Place it someplace where that will remind you of the forgiveness Jesus has offered you. As a matter of fact, if you're online, well, here you are. Get a rock. Place it someplace to remind yourself that the stones aren't going to take place of your worship. The stones are no longer going to be commissioned to cry out against us. But we're going to praise God. We're going to worship God. We're going to let our lives... Be a testimony to the goodness of Jesus Christ. So, let's sing. Let's worship. Let's make an act of declaration. Again, either put your rock down here or, or take it with you and put it someplace where it will remind you. But Let's like make a declaration today that the stones won't take our praise. We're going to praise Him. We're going to worship Him. Let me bless us. Jesus, we thank You. We thank you for what you have done in our lives, and we pray that as we leave this place, you would bless us and you would protect us. Jesus, we pray that you would be gracious toward us and smile upon us. And we pray that every day we would walk in your favor and in your peace. That our praise would silence the rocks. So we pray this in your name, Jesus.